As an Osage, I really wanted this to be from the perspective of Molly and what her family experienced. But I think it would take an Osage to do that. Um, Martin Scorsese not being Osage, I think he did a great job representing our people. But this story is being told, this history is being told almost from, from the perspective of um, Ernest Burkhart. And they kind of give him this conscience and they kind of depict that there's love. But when somebody conspires to murder your entire family, uh, that's not love. That's not love. That's, that's, just, beyond, that's just beyond abuse. And um, I think in the end, the question that you can be left with is how long will you be complacent with racism? How long will you go along with something and not say something, not speak up? How long will you be complacent? And I think that's because this film was not made for an Osage audience. It was made for everybody not Osage. Uh, for those that have been disenfranchised, they can relate. But for other countries, you know, that have their acts and their histories of oppression, um, this is an opportunity for them to ask themselves this question of morality. And so that's, that's how I feel. Chris, thank you for coming on. Uh, if you don't know, our show, The Extra Credits, recognizes movies that we find have meaning. Uh, we try to search for nuance and have a conversation about what worked best and what might have struggled uh, in a movie. And the film you worked on, Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, is obviously a massive achievement as a historical epic about American greed and exploitation but it also attempts to be representative of an unrepresented Osage nation and, and the reign of terror specifically in, in the film. So it's a very complex movie and I'm grateful to be able to speak with you as someone who worked on the film as an Osage consultant. And I uh, especially respected your reaction to the film after its premiere, which we'll get to eventually. But first, I'd love to hear more about you and what your experience was like working on Cal Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, but how is it looking back at your time on the film? Yeah, uh, the film was, uh, it really was a once in a lifetime opportunity. It's not very often you have somebody uh, as prestigious as Martin Scorsese um, take, a, take an interest of making a film about your people. You know, this is the guy that's known for films like Casino. You know, gang, you know, gangster films, the yeah. Irishman, and and things like that. And so, um, you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of buzz uh, back at home, uh, just about just about that. You know, and that was I just I think I think the news of it was just like four months after the release of the book from David Gran, and so. You know, looking back on it, you know, there there's a lot of feelings uh, that come up, especially back at home. Um, you know, this is something, you know, I, I hear a lot of people that use story a lot, you know, and, and it is a film and it's made mm -hmm. for entertainment. But like, these were real things. These were real things that really, really happened to people, you know, as... Uh, and it's really hard to think about that because like like their descendants are living today. And so there 
there was a lot of uh, talk and concern uh, in the beginning of production. It was all focused around like the FBI and Tom White mm-hmm. and um, Martin Scorsese had a meeting with the chief, Chief Standing Bear, and you know they they had quite an extensive conversation and there was another man from gray horse name uh wilson pipestem and he wrote a letter to scorsese and uh really just wanted them you know wrote out their concerns and 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 the gray horse people there's three communities uh there were five but three exist today those communities are gray horse uh, which the Osage term is Bossuogne, and that means lives on around hills. And then there's Jeantiogne in Harmony, Oklahoma. That means they live in the woods, and then there's Wakakuri. And that's where I'm from, which is uh, Pahaska. But I have family at those other those other communities. Um, so we, you know, he talked to that gray horse community uh, he agreed to to meet with them, and um, he did, and they all laid it out, and you know, reflecting on it, you know, I I had no idea what they were gonna do, and and it was just kind of I feel like the right place and right time. Um, I I work in language revitalization. I I don't I'm, I I don't work in the film industry, so. Um, I've dedicated my whole life to learn my people's language and to teach my people's language. I, uh, I got hired by the nation, um, to teach our language. And I have been, I've been, I worked with the nation for, uh, nearly a decade. And so it, I was just in my office in Pahuska and my director uh, at the time was Van Big Horse and he come and talked to me and said Christopher want to talk to you about something anytime your director says they want to talk to you you're like what's this about you know <laughs> you're your boss <laughs> and so uh, he said they want you to work on that film um I had heard that Chief might have uh, mentioned me to Martin Scorsese, but that that's just hearsay, and you kind of know how that goes. And so they they worked with us, and one of those elements is they really wanted they really wanted our language to be in the film. And so uh, one of the ways they did that, you know, this was like this was before uh, COVID, I think. Yeah, uh, that they said that, and and then um, they they needed somebody to translate the script, but they also needed somebody to uh, teach the actors. And so, I didn't do it alone. Uh, the now director is Braxton Red Eagle. At the time, he was not director, and so uh, I did it with the help of. Uh, Braxton Red Eagle and Janice Carpenter. And we were the language consultants and teachers. And so before we even had a, a line to even translate 
we uh i i met with uh somebody named marianne marianne bauer the one of the producers of the film and she said mm-hmm. you know i meet with her and it was an exciting meeting um you know i kind of kept my concerns about the film to myself uh, except I, I visit a lot with my wife about it because, you know, there is historical trauma to these events uh, that, you know, we we haven't had the opportunity to really heal from. Uh, there's something that's common here is uh, we, and, and this goes for our culture as well. Uh, we either just have private conversations amongst ourselves or we say we don't talk about it. And so there's a lot mm-hmm. of hurt uh the loss of intergenerational wealth. You know, because it's just out there. Something like 26% of the head rights and the estate does not belong to the Osage people for whatever reason. Um I had that kind of in the back of my mind. And so like I meet Marianne Bauer and they tell me what they want me to do. And they they say, um, we have some actresses uh, that we want you to teach. And so I, I specifically worked with Lily Gladstone and Kara J. Meyer. And, um, mm-hmm. They did a fantastic job. We didn't, you know, like I said, we at this point, we hadn't even received anything to translate. So they just, at that point, they just wanted me to, like, teach them how to speak and how fast we could teach them. Like, it, it was kind of an experiment. Like, how fast could we take these people who are not Osage, never heard the language, and teach them and make them sound like Osages. And I, you know, I was really impressed with their work. And, you know, Lily Gladstone, you know, she she even ad-libbed some, some of her lines in Osage. Oh, wow. And uh she just did a she just did a, a fantastic job. Um then and then the the work started coming in. And it was kind of different because we you know, we we were we all had signed NDAs, and they give us these these lines, and they wanted us to translate them. And mm-hmm. it's kind of funny because like you have half of a conversation, and somebody had another half of a conversation, and oftentimes, uh, I don't know if people realize this, but you know, in 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 another language, and I don't know how like general and broad this is but for osage the way you say something is going to reflect how you respond and so we we did that and you know we we kind of had to almost work in secret with each other also like covid so we were it's like passing notes in the office because like you couldn't be around each other you just basically in those days, you just like were in your office and you didn't hang out with anybody. You just like hung out in the office. And if you were around people, it was a policy to wear a mask. So it was like 
emails and passing notes and we and we did it we translated that script so i all of uh lily gladstone's uh lines i I translated that all of uh kara j meyer's lines i translated that uh later as production come along and people like leonardo dicaprio and robert de niro were coming into oklahoma i was also assigned to them or they were also assigned to me i'm not sure how that actually works but but i i worked with them and i translated their lines too so uh it was just a unique process and um you know i just seeing uh robert de niro just step in and embody that that character really was amazing uh anytime they had any osage spoken on set uh the two people that were on set that was there listening and making uh alterations to that uh was janice carpenter and myself so um we both listened to we deliberated between each other uh we said this wasn't good we would compare our notes and you know we would talk to them or uh oftentimes they needed to know how to say something and so it was normal for lily gladstone to be like hey i need to ask chris something and then and then there's some some you know somebody that works on the film come by and said we need chris we need chris uh lily wants to talk to chris and so i go talk to her and she say this is what i want to say is this right and i'm like yeah that's right just say it just just like that and so she you know she did really great and i really enjoyed working with uh Robert De Niro as well. Uh, he did a fantastic job. Just he'd never done anything like that before. He did a fil- he told me he did a film once before that had a little Persian in it, but that that was it. You know, all his all his all his other stuff has been in English, and so that's mainly mainly my experience uh, with working on the film. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because when I saw that you were a language consultant on the film, one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you, obviously, is because I was, uh, I really felt your your red carpet response to the film, and we can get to that in a second. Um, but in addition to that, being a language consultant on the movie, because we don't get as much Osage representation as I thought in terms of the culture in the movie a lot of the Osage representation is in the kind of the physical performance and then also in the language and what is not in the subtitles. So a lot of the audience kind of having to lean in and wonder about a conversation that's being had or what Lily Gladstone's character Molly is saying about Ernest when we might not actually know what she's saying or what Leo is saying to her later in the film or what De Niro is saying um, or Molly's sister, her mother. And so your impact along with your your coworkers on the film has the biggest impact i think on how the audience is perceiving right. the osage culture uh for for better and for worse because obviously one of the reasons i wanted to speak with you is because it's such an important film such a representative film such an educational film and um and can be informative in a ton of ways and also just representing an experience that has never really been uh, represented in film or entertainment, but also in textbooks and a lot of American textbooks too. And 
after I saw the, the your red carpet response to the movie, and when I saw that clip go viral, I decided to to not listen to the the clip right away because my co-host Kelsey and I needed to see the movie a few times and we really wanted to wait. And we saw it a few times and we thought it was a, a very powerful movie, very necessary, like I said, educational in moments, but we were conflicted. And we thought the film really succeeded as this Scorsese American epic that I think American audiences and are just like very familiar with at this point because he's made so many masterpieces through many decades. Um, like you brought up Casino earlier, but he's made epics mm-hmm. like Wolf of Wall Street or, or Goodfellas right. or The Irishman. Um, and so he really seemed to, with his collaborators that he works with and brings back throughout all of his movies, he seemed to really nail this uh, American epic formula that we were so accustomed to and we were almost expecting, um, which isn't fair to him. But still, we were expecting that. But we also thought, and this is where it becomes complicated, we thought it struggled to balance its, its representation of the Osage Nation. And we were, we were caught off guard that the movie mostly gave screen time to uh, the white settlers and colonists, even, even if those specific Americans like Hale and Ernest are part of a larger commentary, obviously, about evil from Scorsese, where he was interested in, in showing a fairly unrepresented human tragedy in more fair ways in order to tell like this cautionary tale about American greed and exploitation, um, which is why he's such a, a great filmmaker because he's, his protagonists are supposed to like mirror this like kind of certain dissonance to the audience, like a reflection point for privilege and ignorance. So while we thought the film was objectively necessary, um, I think the movie also was so invested and making that American critique that by the second and third act of the movie, we thought the Osage characters were sort of kind of pushed back into the periphery of the story a little bit. Um, so ultimately, we, we didn't think the movie did as good of a job as we thought balancing that American epic cautionary tale versus it being this like Osage nation epic with characters like Molly, her sister, her mother, the Osage government and different points of the movie uh, and others sort of getting at, in, in different points of the film pushed to the side, even if the movie is constructed to support the Osage. So when we finally, you know, talked about the movie and started listening to different points of views, I watched your red carpet clip because obviously it went viral. And I thought you gave like such an incredibly insightful, but like really interesting nuance in only three minutes. And I immediately, my first thought selfishly as a podcaster was like, you would be a great podcaster because <laughs> you wouldn't, you wouldn't need two or three hours to explain what uh, didn't go right in this film. You, you just did it so quickly. And it was basically a sound bite, but it, it gave me, and I think so many people on the internet, like this language and understanding of maybe why we were um, surprised about the direction of the film and the, the direction it went in, in terms of how it was marketed. Um, so I'm curious because I know like we weren't the only ones who felt complicated about the movie. Do you feel similarly to that three minute response you had at that premiere or have you been thinking about that moment since in terms of it going viral? Cause like some, obviously some critics have tried to defend the movie, even though like yeah. understanding that point of view. And so it's been like, I'm sure a, a fascinating month for you since that happened. Yeah. It's uh, been interesting to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so uh, I never expected that to go viral. Um, you know, most people they ask me about what I did or what I was wearing, mm-hmm. 
uh, and it just so happened, you know, the Hollywood Reporter was the only ones that asked me what I thought about the film. And, you know, uh, being a language consultant, um, I just was really uh, uh, surprised and shocked. There's just nothing that could really prepare you for a film like that. Um, I still feel similar to the way I I felt uh, after seeing it a second time. Um, I will say that these, this Osage presence, because this film is, is successful. Mm-hmm. And I always knew that this film would be successful at what it's going to do. You know, um, and and you know that that Osage presence you're talking about, that Osage representation, it really is in there, and that's because uh, Martin Scorsese took the time to talk to us. You know, and that's something I did say. I said, you know, he did a good job representing my mm-hmm. people. You know, when you look at that film. You watch that film and you see us. See, you see all them Osage in there. They look like Osages. So often in in Hollywood, you watch a film. Everybody looks Lakota or Comanche. Mm-hmm. You know, you get the long haired, um, mystical, noble warrior, or you get the Mohawk crazy savage you know and when you watch films like uh last of the mohegans and you really look at magua and why he's doing what he's doing you know um that that english officer and general uh you know made him a slave so he carried a lot of wrath from that and a lot of hurt from that. But they they definitely like make him this villain where uh you know we're supposed you know we've made the English, you know, these really uh they're they're the they're the protagonist. And so that that carries even now. Um do I think uh, William Hale and Ernest Burkhardt are the protagonists of this film. No, I don't. Um, I just, you know, it it really is the Ernest Burkhardt movie. And you know, I, I've heard the other interviews where, you know, they say uh, that's because nobody knew about him. There, there's the least information about him. And I'm like, do we really need more information about about Ernest Burkhart besides the fact he did what he did? Right. You know? And um I've seen the film twice and I um there's just nothing that can prepare you for that level of violence against your people and especially the women of your people. You know, our our women are sacred. You know, we we really are we are a society where uh, we really talk about like how men are the center in front of everything, 
but really it's not that our tribe wouldn't function if it wasn't for the women in our tribe. And so, you know, when you think about Molly Burkhart and Mar Mo Molly Kyle and her sisters and her mother, you know, really this is a mi uh, missing and murdered indigenous women's story. And that's something that still happens today. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, I don't hate the film. I think the film, you know, it's necessary. And, 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 and just like you said, you know, you had complex feelings coming out. Uh, I did too. I had, I, I uh, this, it's one of those films when you watch it, you don't feel good after watching it. Uh, you always feel, you know, queasy in your stomach about the things that people did to other people, the things that these men did to these women. And uh, it's just uh, shocking and mind-blowing and, and uh, hard to digest. And so after seeing it in New York, because New York was the first time I saw it, you know, I walked out and they had this big reception and loud music and everybody was really mm -hmm. excited. And I was not. Right. I, I I didn't really feel like having a good time. So I, I just did some social graces and I went back. My wife was with me. So we did some social graces and uh, we just went back to the hotel. And it's just like, kind of a blur and what really um baffled me is a relative of mine was there at new york and after the film she says it just goes to show that good sometimes good people do bad things and i'm like is that really what we're gonna take away from this mm -hmm. film that sometimes good people do bad things and that probably, with that response and after watching it, really shaped my my opinion around the film. I think it's necessary. You know, I think everybody should watch it, uh, formulate their own opinions, sit with their own feelings with it. But after seeing it twice, I you know, for me, I, I don't think it's something I'll watch again. Yeah. You know, just because it's just because of the nature of the content. But I really am proud of the work that I did on the film. And uh, just seeing the impact that my work and so many others had on the film. Because there were cultural consultants. There were Osage artists who made that wardrobe. You know, and so just to see that, you know, that was amazing. And there's pieces in there. Uh, like you said, you know, there's just no translation. There's no context. Mm -hmm. And um, could we have put more uh, Osage things in there? Sure. Sure. But, uh, you know, I, when we first meet Molly and she's talking to her guardian, you know, they're talking about how her mother bought $300 in groceries mm -hmm. in the 1920s $300 in groceries was a lot of groceries that's a lot of groceries 
it's not as much today. You know, you may get 60 items for $300 now, but that was a lot of money. So you, you don't really see the Osage generosity. But for us, Osage, that watch that, we know why she bought that many groceries. And that's because Osage people are inherently generous people. Before there was money, they gave away horses. The, it was always in the nature of, of our people to always give and to share. And so and and that and that was for um uh that was for our, our ceremonies that she was she was hosting that she was putting that those groceries up for that because anytime you do anything you feed. And so without that context, you know, I, I that probably just seems crazy that she's spending three hundred dollars on groceries. But for all us Osage that watched it, we understood what that meant. And um, you know, there there are more things we could have put in there, but maybe it maybe it is better. Maybe, maybe it is better that we don't have all of our cultural things out there. Because mm-hmm. oftentimes what happens is people see you know uh all these indigenous nations do things, they'll start to copy right. it. And flatter, I guess flattery is the greatest like compliment, but it is kind of weird, you know. Yeah, I I think there also is room in the film where it does enough to uh, provoke the audience to educate themselves in a way, just like how you're talking about whether it be uh, the audience educating themselves about the allotment act with the land um, or right. the head right system. And really trying to understand that more deeply and like in terms of the way our country uh, systemically was preying on the Osage Nation, what we got to see was more of a microcosm of what Scorsese called a macrocosm, which is just this systematic attack by Hale's team and their robbery of Osage wealth um, still having major consequences today. And it does leave that, right. that, that education, I think, for people to to walk away with the movie, to go read more and look into different experiences more that aren't their own. And so I agree that there are like, there are pockets of the film that are better left unexplained if they're just provoking enough. Um, but I am curious in terms of things that maybe could have, in terms of just the, the mm-hmm. screenplay and the character studies, because really this film is is a movie. It is an epic. It is an uh, an entertaining, devastating film. But it is truly yeah. like a character study movie, and that's what Scorsese and his collaborators are so good at. But the movie is is balancing three major characters. It's balancing Molly, Ernest, and Hale. And by the third act, it's such a surprising film. We, we only saw it twice, just like you. And I think we're, we're, we, on the second watch, I really was trying to go in knowing the first act was the most provocative, the most transgressive, kind of giving you hope that the movie might follow Molly. And then we kind of pivot. And there's a thematic reason for that, of course, that is well-intended. But by the third act, the film really turns into this like internal battle or like moral investigation of American guilt in courtrooms and in jail cells and while all of that is like a, a well-intended effective exploration of these men and their greed 
the third act really like leaves out an Osage perspective and a lot of the defenders of the film, because we work in like a, a, a film commenting space and critic space. And so we did a two hour episode on this movie and talked about what we're talking about now. And there are a lot of defenders of the movie um, that would argue that the movie stuck to real life, which is that Molly is bedridden for most of the second act. Uh, but we thought that was pretty convenient because it is a $200 million movie and considering the right. the film's screenplay went through so many different iterations at its beginnings and could have been maybe structured a little bit differently, we were we were left disappointed that the movie evolved into like this multifaceted character study about the men behind a massacre instead of better balancing maybe that story with someone like Molly. And even though like Scorsese and his collaborators deserve credit for like reworking um, the novel from less of what you were talking about at the top, like an FBI origin procedural drama to this like interrogation of evil and how this story took place and and, uh, this real life events happened um, against the Osage. But do you think that this movie still, though, while giving credit to Scorsese and his collaborators for making a good film that is informative or provocative? Do you think it could have gone farther by just representing Molly's journey just more? Because the the movie gives us these great moments with her narration and it temp, it attempts to give you this Osage perspective with her mother um, passing away and then also her sister. But once you get that perspective of her family, you're, you're left wanting more um, in good ways and also uncomfortable ways because I think there's a lot of people with my identity that have said in defending this movie that Scorsese has now opened the door for more like for native American filmmakers in the future to tell stories or real life tragedies like this one or real beautiful stories in the history of different native tribes or nations with a wider scope about these experiences and someone else other Mm -hmm. than uh, Scorsese like should tell that story. Uh, But it really felt like the movie could have just walked with molly's story more and gone more in depth so i'm curious if you if you think the movie could have done that and if scorsese or his collaborators or maybe the screenwriters could have just given us a little bit more do you think that is better suited for future native american filmmakers i think they could have done more um even with just molly you know and we know a lot you know about anna her sister and just like look at the way they wrote mm-hmm. her you know the way they they wrote her it sounded like like she had this coming she was unhinged and 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 a problem and um you know what we know about her um because of the book and and, and it is that she, you know that she preferred to wear you know, flapper dresses and, and, and things like that. And she liked the, the nightlife of Pahuska. But if she really had, you know, problems such as like alcoholism and everything, um, I feel like that's just really rough because you have so many people uh, just, you know, around like the country where alcoholism is a real serious mm-hmm. thing. And, and we didn't really see that she was like actually preyed upon. You know, we, what we got was uh, Ernest Burkhart riding around with his brother, robbing people at gunpoint 
cool banjo music. Right. You know, and and I guess that just goes to show that like we we as Osage people, you know, we're we're quite close to this. You know, um because these are our people and we feel that, you know, when we see that. And so I I think they could have done better when it comes to writing about these uh these ladies and their sis you know, their sisters, Molly's sisters, you know, she like her mother really favored Anna over Molly. We didn't really see that except for the few times that we we did, you know, where she says, you know, I don't want you. I want, I want your sister, mm-hmm. you know, so we, you know, we, we kind of see that dynamic a bit and it's just glimpses and, you know, something that, uh, Scorsese said in the beginning is this is a, this is a story about betrayal. And I'm like, really make it a story about betrayal you know we did we really need all the jail scenes mm-hmm. you know it we and, and yes during that whole time she was you know molly was bed bedridden but they could have wrote that different where that could have been the focus and and um you know tom white appears and mm-hmm. uh she has her dream or and then she goes to Pasca and she gets well and we and we actually see her wrestle with the fact that her husband might have possibly been doing this with her and then make it that reveal you know like carry us through the gaslighting carry us through the abuse and you know maybe maybe they chose to wrote it this way because it's just easier to digest that way but we do we do lose that sense and so i you know and, and maybe that's just cuz you know i'm osage watching this about osages and and everybody's going to have their opinion you know that's something i said this isn't an osage film this is a film about osages that is playing around the globe mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not for us. It's for everybody else to take in and to digest. And you know, everybody, you know how you 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 said you got people that defend this film. You know, um, and I had a critique about it, and all of those opinions are valid. All those opinions are valid because once once it's out there, it's no longer ours. You know, it's for everybody to take in and to get their own understanding of it. And then it becomes it's up to them. Do they want to know more about it or is this it? Because you know, like this isn't this isn't a documentary. This is a this is a a film based on true events mm-hmm. that was made for entertainment. And so I think I think it's a step in the right direction. In regards to uh, opening the door for other indigenous filmmakers, I would just like us to get past talking about the trauma. You know, anytime there's a film about indigenous people, it's about uh, 
wounded knee. Mm-hmm. Bury my heart at wounded knee. It's a devastating movie. I only ever watched once. You know, uh, it's all about the trauma that he experienced. It's, you know, at some point we got to stop talking about how sad it is. How sad was it? And start talking about the success stories. You know, because like even even we got res- reservation mm-hmm. dogs. That's a comedy. And you know, it was funny. But again, that that's a that's a that's a story that is about uh grief, you know, revolving around uh the process of their friend's own suicide. So was there funny things? Yeah. But it the 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 heart of that story is 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 revolves around grief. So we're always perpetually sad. We're perpetually sad people. But when you're actually around indigenous people, we're some of the funniest people. We laugh and we smile a lot. And at some point, I would actually like to see that on the screen. Imagine that if there was a an an indigenous rom-com. Let's get it. What that would look like. So there's more to us. There's more to us than than the hurt and the loss. But th- I also feel like that this was a, a necessary uh, film, you know, because it's just like everybody it, around the globe in like the month. I had a reporter in Guatemala uh, messaged me and was like, I saw the film. I saw what you said on the red carpet. I agree with you. Um, these types of things happen here in Guatemala, but we have no Hollywood to expose it. You know, and I felt mm-hmm. that. You know, so these types of things happen around the globe. And so, you know, a- a- and now they're still happening. And so it's just like that question, you know, in the end, I'm said like, because it's not made for an audience with us. I'm like, are, are made for an Osage audience. It's made for, you know, a global mm-hmm. audience. You're left with that question of morality. Like, how long will you go along with this? Because we do watch Ernest Burkhart kind of reach a breaking point. And that's with the death of his his daughter. And he flips and he uh, confesses and uh, testifies against his uncle. You know, so there there was a limit to how far he would go. And so I think that that's something that we could take away. What's our limit? Mm. How far could we go along with something like this? And so for me, that was like my biggest takeaway. And I think that's why, and I think that's one of the reasons why this film is successful. Yeah, no, I, I think that is the kind of through line idea of what are you willing to uh sacrifice morally in these human crises um in order for your for your right. own success or your own image um and i do think that is the 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 overwhelming message of the movie that is going to get across it is universal so i still I, I i think we still my co-host kelsey and i still walked away from the film did a huge episode on it and want reached out to you um really because we were still like hoping to like understand the the conflicting feelings more and this this conversation has helped 
Um, but the last the last bit about the movie, and then we can move on to some maybe some more interesting things about what you hope for in Hollywood that we've already lo- touched on a little bit. Um, but the last bit about the film that I was curious about is this the moments of of Molly in the film when we do see her platformed, which is specifically in this relationship with Ernest. Because famously, Scorsese loves provocative romances in his movies. I don't know how familiar you are, you are with his filmography. I know you mentioned Sca- Casino, so you, you must be. Yeah. 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 Um, and he seems fascinated in trying to like explore this question through his career of whether or not someone can love an oppressor or a murderer. And in this, ca- in this case, he asks the question by going even further by asking if someone can love the murderer of their family. Um, even if there is this like obvious power imbalance in the in the relationship through what you talked about earlier with gaslighting, and I think in Scorsese films, if you have a if you have a history with watching his movies and you have this like language where you're in communication with his movies, like you know emotionally where they're moving and where they're going, um, he uses complicated relationships as like larger metaphors about whether or not Americans can love their, their love mm-hmm. their country really, and I think in Killers of the Flower Moon. He kind of sneaks that question into the movie through Ernest and Molly. And in press leading up to the, the release of the film, Scorsese said when he read the grand novel, he originally started writing the script as this FBI origin story and DiCaprio was going to play white as the FBI agent. But the script lacked that kind of American metaphor and that kind of complicated romance that he wanted to come back to in a lot of his scripts. And he said that he knew he could make the movie once he heard more about Ernest and Molly, which there wasn't enough there. And so he wanted to dive deeper in there as this kind of like central driver of the movie that they could get made. And he went and spoke, I believe, with uh, Molly's um, grandchildren to ask if it was okay. And they, you know, wanted to make it very clear that Molly and Ernest, they wanted them to be shown authentically in love. So he had to respect that kind of complicated nuance in the film. But do you, do you think yeah. that that choice of using that complex relationship with these kind of odd power dynamics that we do get a feeling for um, as the core conflict of the film kind of gets away from the, the point of the movie when you do have like a friend reaching out to you after the movie, like, you know, kind of giving their take on the film of saying like, this is how a good person goes bad. Like, do you think that that is the, the real major conflict that people seem to be sharing who come out of this movie being like, that was important, but I have these, odd feelings um i have had a lot of people tell me that that's weird okay i've had a lot of people tell me that's weird um and she uh she did say that that her granddaughter did say that in that meeting that they were in love and, you know that's the burkhart family you know you it's kind of hard to go against that that idea mm-hmm. but um for myself what i've learned in life is when somebody is abusive to you that that abuse is not love there are good things that can exist at the same time right there are good things that can exist at the same time, but that that's not loving. That abuse is not loving, and that's a real problem. And, you know, I, Molly must have had some sort of acceptance of what happened because uh, she 
uh, she uh, ultimately did divorce mm-hmm. Ernest and removed his face from all of the family pictures. That, you know, and, and what she, I can't begin to even imagine the hurt that she could have felt. Because what I do believe is she wholeheartedly trusted him. And she wholeheartedly loved him. And when you really struggle with that idea of did he, didn't he, and then it comes out, oh yeah, he did. He he did do all of these horrible things, you know. Like for myself, I'd feel betrayed. You know, and I just think about like words that I was told growing up, just things like nakekidapi. Literally, that means take care of one another or be kind to one another. But really, you're saying, you know, be loving towards one another. And what does that look like? You know, taking care of one another, nurturing one another. That's not, that's not, um, well, it's like I said, it's not conspiring to murder your entire spouse's family. Mm-hmm. If anything, you know, you would probably want to do something to prevent that, <laughs> you know? And so a lot of Osages I've talked to, uh, or have shared with me about what I said, agreed with that. And, um, you know, all the respect, you know, for, for that family, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just hope that like they have the opportunity to heal from this event. Yeah. I really asked that question because, uh, of your perspective that you gave on that, on that reaction right at the premiere. Um, and I, it was just kind of so floored, I guess, after the movie of seeing uh, my co-host said it the best, Kelsey, on our episode. It was difficult for me to find my words for it. And she said that it was like if we watched Wolf of Wall Street or Casino and the end of the movie, the message was, do these two people still love each other? And there's like very like toxic, abusive relationships in those films. And um Mm-hmm. something would feel wrong uh, about those movies ending in that way. And so ultimately it, I think it was fine for us to kind of come away with these conflicting feelings, but we were just finding it difficult to, to give words to it or find a language for it. Um, ultimately at the end of the film, kind of speaking about, uh, about Molly's, the, the end note and the epilogue and Scorsese in the coda paying tribute to Molly's life. Um, did you know about that before you had seen the movie uh, or have you heard any about any of people in the Osage, like their reaction to that film, uh, the way it ended um, and that conversation maybe about there's, Scorsese and the way he ended it? There's conflicting feelings. There are some people who really don't like the radio show. You know, that last bit. Mm-hmm. You know, and what I took away with, you know, even though she survived, you know, there was in her, even in her uh, obituary, there was no mention of the murders. You know, she remarried and she went to live a full life. 
and her, you know, and and to do uh, a multitude of things. We don't see that in the film, and you know, maybe that's on purpose so that we could be left with these feelings. You know, you know, we don't see that. You know, she we maybe we just see her as a victim, but she did survive. You know, and her descendants—they're still living today. Um, and that's the thing about the dance that is at the end. And I'm not sure if people got this, but that is supposed to be like Osage people. They 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 survive past mm-hmm. this, and so with the tribe, there's a lot of like uh, movement right now. You know, where they're saying we're not a monolith. Mm-hmm. You know, Osage forever. You know, uh, because we we did we did survive this. Although these things continued way past uh the events of Molly and her family. So many people were touched by this time. Um you get the sense that it's a larger systemic thing, but there are so many people during that time that just died and they were never investigated. Never investigated that, um, you know, it, we all suspect that it was much larger and you start looking at it, you know, and, and you see that kind, you kind of see that during, uh, after the first court scene, where he, you know, decides to meet with the lawyer, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, the guardians are there, the Shones brothers are there, the sheriff is there, and they're all wanting him to essentially lie on the stand, you know, to kind of keep things covered up, and so at the end of the day, you know. We all kind of wish it ended with William Hale, mm-hmm. but it didn't. You know, they're they're they think it was much larger, and it could have been hundreds of people, but only twenty four murders were investigated. But you go you go through them cemeteries out there. Don't do that though. But uh, if but there in our cemeteries, there's so many people who are just so young and uh, you know children children for no reason they died so young well what was their cause of death it was never investigated and so that's why that's you know it, it touched the whole nation and so when you see that in the end that where they're they're dancing that's supposed to be like like, yeah, we survived. We we've survived beyond this, but we do feel that loss because it's not just it's not just uh, uh, intergenerational wealth that we lost. We're uh, we were a oral people that passed our history and our culture through oral tradition. And when people at mass numbers like that just die, you don't just lose the wealth, but you lose 
the oral traditions. You lose the history. It just stops right there. They didn't get to they didn't get to pass that on. The film does get across, and this is why I do ultimately this is why I started the conversation off by saying it was a very important film, if not a great film, and educational, because it gets across this concept of cultural genocide, which is something that just not enough people talk about. My co-host and I are both educators and I'm um a teacher in the social sciences. And so teaching history through different lenses and perspectives allows us to understand more about what is lost, the material items, what's lost is culture, spirituality. There are things lost that are deeper than any piece of wealth, um, though the wealth is important to acknowledge and try to figure out how to move and distribute that wealth appropriately. Um, But that's why I was curious about the coda, because while that last image is powerful of the Osage, the coda felt like much like what we've been talking about this whole conversation, which is this uh, very odd balance between trying to represent this tribute to Molly's life while also uh, Martin Scorsese doing this end note to his career in a way um, of finally representing a more marginalized part of our American history that he often leaves in the periphery of his movies um, sometimes conveniently, even if there is a theme or idea there. So this has been a very educational conversation. I think a lot of our listeners are going to learn a lot from this, much like the film, hopefully like want to learn more about the Osage and other indigenous nations across the country and North America at large. Um, but also one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because just in terms of criticisms and nuances in Hollywood, we see a lot of regurgitating opinion. We don't really see a lot of nuance with such like um, um, emotional caution. And when you gave that three minutes on uh, that red carpet at the premiere, I think uh, my immediate reaction was regardless of identity, what, what you were able to do in terms of like taking that film in and expressing this, this real internal struggle I think a lot of people had while watching the movie was just so impressive um, and really kind of like um, something that I think Hollywood is not ready for right now because there is such a kind of focus on getting out like words like masterpiece and regurgitating like how um, culturally important something is. Um, and obviously, like you also have people of my identity, you have a lot of white critics talking about how uh, impressive this movie is. And so I think it was a, a little bit it was it was nice to see this this perspective, but that was also very, very like coherent and clear and emotionally educational and frankly, just like uh, a breath of fresh air. Uh, so thank you again for coming on and, and speaking with me. And, and hopefully this has been uh, a nice conversation for you, too. Yeah, no, this has been a good conversation. You know, thanks for reaching out mm-hmm. to me. You know, uh, like I said, you know, a lot of people, they, they call this a masterpiece and, and everything. And um, somebody asked me what I thought, and I'm not a type of person that isn't going to share my opinion if you actually ask for it and what I see. And so I, uh, I just did, yeah. you know, and um, I didn't expect what happened to happen. I didn't expect uh, people to resonate with it. And a lot of people resonate to different parts you know, to what I, to what I said, 
that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, people are going to do what they're going to do and not everybody will agree and that's okay. And, um, you know, so I just, uh, you know, I just share my honest opinion and, um, uh, it seemed to be something that a lot of people were also thinking. Mm-hmm. I just happened to be the first person to say it. <laughs> Chris, thank you again for coming on. Hopefully we can have you on again one day if we get a potentially an indigenous rom-com. Like that's, you set that up. So I think <laughs> we do have directors and writers who listen to the show. So <laughs> so maybe we can have some people, put some other people in charge of stories that should be uh, telling those stories and maybe we can get something a little bit more optimistic, hopeful, true to the spirit of, of the contemporary times or different indigenous communities across North America. Um, again, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah.